so the idea of this podcast is to have a conversation with people I care about as if it was our last conversation. The idea being that you never know when you're going to die and we're all going to die. And I've had this experience of like wishing I had said certain things that I didn't say to people who died. And so I want to not have that experience anymore and just talk about everything I want to tell them before I die or before they die. So that's the idea for this podcast. And the first person I'm doing with is Maxwell, who has been doing the sound recording for the podcast. And I've known Maxwell about three years. I think that's right. We met at the end of 2020. So around this time, 2020. And Maxwell reached out and just said he like, um, he sent me a very touching email saying that I think I talked about David Berman, who had just died recently. Is that why? No, I mean, I reached out because of the show, but I had looked you up in relation to David Berman, wondering if there was any connection. And I saw that you wrote this thing about oh. David Berman. And at first I thought you knew him. And then I read your thing and it seemed like you didn't know him and until he died you didn't really like this over Jews <laughs> well I liked them for a while and I was down on them but yeah after he died I got into them again yeah but you said something like uh, I was a real big fan of theirs and I always kind of wanted to reach out when I realized he died because he, he felt like nobody cared about his work and well, I actually didn't say that in my initial email. You didn't? What no. Did you, what'd you say? In my initial email to you, I just said, I just finished watching the show about the show. I was wondering if you had some time to talk. And you called me about 45 minutes after sending that email. Huh. And then I told you about David Berman on the phone. But I also said, you know, I do sound. And you're like, I'm not recording anything right now because it was pandemic. Uh. And you were like, but I'm always looking for sound people. So I'll probably contact you in the future. And then months went by and then you texted me and you were like, I'm still not in production on anything, but sometimes I invite strangers to help me edit. Do you want to do that? And I was like, sure. Oh yeah. I don't remember any of that. My memory is totally different and probably all wrong, but basically I was touched by something you said about David Berman and about wishing you had reached out to him and that you hadn't and you regretted it and you wanted to reach out to me because you hadn't reached out to him. Yeah, that, that part is true. That uh, after David Berman died and I read that article where he said, like 10 people have told me that my music means anything to them. And I'm not one of those like 10 people uh -huh. <laughs> um <It's> 11 <laughs> he he let he later said people really have to understand the emphasis the emphasis on the like because he's like plenty of people have reached out to tell me my music means something to them but it's not as many as you'd think or something like that uh -huh. um but you know i just was like well i need to start telling artists what their work means to me 
Um, it's not like I had any thought that like maybe me telling him his music meant something to me would have saved him. I just wish I had gotten the chance to tell him before he died. Mm. But so then you started working on the podcast, 365 Stories, from the start, right? You were like, we started doing it and you were doing it right away, right? Yeah. So the first time we met, we edited an episode of the show, which was crazy because the way you edit is insane to me. You're like so used to editing that like you move at light speed when you're editing. And uh, I felt really lost in doing this. I don't edit very often. (laughs) And so when you were doing it and you were like, is this better? And you would take out like three frames. And I was like, "Uh, I think so. And I didn't know you yet. So it was really awkward. And then you invited me to do it again the next day. So I was like, okay, I guess that went well. And then you were like, so I'm working on this podcast. And since you do sound, maybe this is what you want to do. And at the time, I really didn't want to do that. But I didn't, again, didn't know you. And I was really excited to be working with you. So I just said yes. I think I liked it that you were unsure about the cuts. Because some people, they just think they have to have an answer. And they'll say, yeah, that one's better. And I'll say, really? Or... Or that one. And it's just like, come on, just <laughs> have an opinion. Yeah. And you were like, honest about it. You were like, I'm not sure. I can't tell. So I was like, okay, good. But we started working on that thing and we worked on it every single day for a year, right? Yeah. And there was like, I don't know, like at least an hour a day. And I guess we just got to know each other from doing that in a way that you do with people that you talk to every day <laughs> for an hour. Yeah, I'd say it was in like the eight month mark of working on that podcast where I was like, oh, Kaveh is actually my friend. This is someone who's my friend who I... Because I was cold before that? You're colder than people (laughs) expect you to be, I think. I think the show really presents you in this way where you seem very open, open armed. Uh And you aren't really like that. No. But uh, around the eight month mark... I was like, oh, Kavant and I are friends. And then there were a few times after that, and this like sort of reassured me that we were friends, was you would call me and I'd answer and I'd think it was something about the podcast and it wasn't. It was just personal. Uh-huh. And I was like, oh, now we really are friends. Uh-huh. I have, I mean, I feel like I'm a fairly self-absorbed person and... um I mean, I think it's a flaw. Like, I'm not proud of it, and I, I, I want it to change, but I feel like I'm much more interested in my problems than other people's problems. And I have a lot of friends, not a lot of friends, but I have a few friends, like, who I call when I have, like, a problem. Like, I'm upset about something or I need advice. And um, you're one of those friends. Jay Rosenblatt's one of those friends. And I sometimes feel guilty because I feel like, um, well, they're listening to my problems, but I'm not really listening to their problems very much. You know, and... Like with my friend Jay, like he, he just doesn't tell me his problems. Like he, you know, like I'm open to it, but he doesn't reach out really. And uh, you don't really either. I mean, you have occasionally, um, but usually it's a kind of a one way street and I'm calling you and you're kind of like the friend who like, you know, makes time to listen and, you know, 
be sympathetic or supportive, which I, I appreciate. But I think I always feel a little guilty or worried that like it's too uh, one dimensional or one one directional rather. Yeah, I don't feel that way. Uh Um, You know, I have called you when I have problems. I just feel like I don't have problems all that often. (laughs) As much as me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, I feel like I've called you with like a few big problems I was dealing with. Or if I got in like a fight with Chen Yu or if I got in a fight with someone else, I'd call you for advice. Uh And you normally give me advice. Um, When I've told friends that, they're like, Maybe you shouldn't be calling Cave about these things. Because they think I have bad advice? No, it's not even that they think you have bad advice. They think they just think you're a tumultuous person who's probably giving me advice that will lead me down a tumultuous path. Uh, that's bad advice, I think. Yeah, but I, I don't think that they're necessarily thinking about whether your advice is good or bad. They're looking at you as like the person they know from your work. Right. And so that's not like what they know. Right. They don't know what advice you gave me. Right, right, right. I'm not known for my good advice. I kind of think you are. Known for my good advice? Well, I mean, I think it's like your advice is kind of like be honest and be yourself. I mm-hmm. mean, is that bad advice? I think most people would say at face value that's good advice. Yeah. It's just where that actually leads you might not be where you expected it to. Right. And lately... Um, the Kathy relationship has been so um, roller coaster ish and so often fraught and uh, upsetting, and and you know high high drama ish. And you've known you've known me since before I knew her, so you've kind of watched the whole thing unfold, and. Um, You've seen some dark moments with that one. <laughs> so, you know, like, I always think of you as the person I can I can go to, or I do go to, when I have, like, a Kathy issue. And, um, I don't know, I just appreciate that you're always there. And uh, and you, you have a very, like, uh, level-headed, <laughs> you know, view of things, like, like you're opinionated, but the opinions are pretty like solid usually, and I don't always ag- agree with them all because you're not always right about everything. But like you, you usually have like a good, balanced, you know, flexible perspective. A lot of people like they just have like this one like viewpoint <laughs> that's kind of narrow or rigid, and uh, that usually those people always just say like break up. What are you doing? And you know you you're always much more you know nuanced. Yeah, I try to approach your problems when you call me without bias, which is sometimes difficult. I don't know. There are times where it's like, I thought it was pretty obvious that the two of you should break up, and I tried to not let those times inform the other times. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. In the ups and downs of it all. Because it wasn't always, it wasn't always down. But, uh, we did break up, as it seemed obvious that we should for a long time. And right now, I'm having this real, like, despair and existential crisis. And I'm just having a hard time. Like, I just I found this book on the street, uh, Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Have you ever read this? I haven't. Do you know about it? No. 
He was like a concentration camp survivor, and he, he kind of writes about finding meaning even in a concentration camp, and finding like you know purpose and I guess joy, let's say. But I really feel like I need that right now. I need like meaning because I don't have any, and I'm a little, I'm a little spooked. I feel kind of like David Berman actually in that song. All my happiness is gone. Like I'm just not feeling any. I don't know what to call it. It's not joy. It's like um, connection or something to life. And I don't know, sometimes it feels like, you know, time's up or game's over. And I just feel like I'm running out of time. I've been feeling that way for a long time, but just like, <clears throat> I don't know how much time I've left. And also, I don't know how much time I want. It's just, right now, it doesn't feel very, um, I don't feel very motivated to, um, to continue and all the projects I have that I usually keep me going. This was a problem with Kathy because she was always like wanting more attention. And, you know, I think legitimately was saying like, you know, people are more important than work and you should be like focusing on that and you're sacrificing your relationships for your work. And I would say you're right, but it gives me something that if I don't have it, like I'm going to like start to, um, spin out of control or something and she never really listened to me or believed me she just was like stop working give me more attention and i was always like torn because i knew that like i needed the work to feel alive or to feel good about myself or to feel like my life had meaning and now that she's not in my life i can work all i want but it has no meaning anymore to me like i just can't care about it in the way i did care about it when i was with her so there's a irony there, but um, I don't know. I, I just feel like um, I want to like wrap things up and just like put things in order for the next stage. And I think this podcast is just part of that. Are you talking about work wise or are you talking about relationship wise or are you talking about Kathy specifically? Uh, work-wise and relationship-wise, not, not Kathy specifically, but like, I just like want to finish a few projects before I die. And I want to like, have like some kind of goodbye really with a certain number of people before I die. And goodbye isn't just like goodbye. It's like a deeper, like a real I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to do this. I've never done this before. I don't know how to have that conversation of like, in case I never see you again, you know, here's what I want to say, but I'm, I'm going to try. I'm trying. Um, and I mean, I guess mostly just like, thank you. Thank you for, um, whatever faith, belief, trust thing you've been doing. From my point of view, I can definitely say you're welcome. And uh, I've enjoyed being this person for you. Um, I've never felt burdened by it, uh, even if my wife has gotten angry at me for it before. But Sorry, Junyu. Um, 
you know, I don't know how to have this conversation either. When you approached me with this premise, and I don't know if it's because I'm too young or because I'm too afraid of death. It's like, I don't know how to go there. And I've thought about it a lot since you've given me that premise and I just don't know how to get there. I was thinking too much about what I'm going to say. uh And it feels like performative in a way. Um, I haven't thought about it at all. I'm just trying to feel into it. Yeah, I feel like that's your way of doing things. I'm too analytical to like approach something like that. Um, Not to say that you're not analytical. I think you are, but you do it through journey and discovery. And I'm more like, okay, let me make a map and then I get there. And yeah, I've been trying to think like how to approach this conversation. And I really don't know. I mean, um, I really like that script you wrote. I, I hope you make it. I hope I do, too. I was thinking about that. I was thinking, like, the only thing I would think when I'm dying is that I have so many regrets of not getting certain things done. Specifically that script about the guy with no nose. I'm glad that you liked that script. I remember that was, like, the bargaining chip, almost. (laughs) Do you remember that at all? Bargaining chip for? I was working on the podcast all the time, and you're like, you know, we, we don't have any money. We can't. Pay oh, you. Yeah. And oh yeah. And I was like, well, I was never expecting any money. Um but I have the script, or at least like an outline of a script, would you read it? And you did. And you actually gave me very little notes on it, which at the time I was like not super excited about. But now knowing you for some reason for you, it's much easier to be negative than it is to be positive about something. Mm. Like you're able to tell someone what you don't like about their script or what you don't like about their work or what you, what you're critical of in their work. But when it comes to what you like, you're just sort of like, yeah, I like it. It's original. And, uh, I asked you, well, what do you think I should do here? And you're like, I think this is really an instinct thing. I don't think I can give you advice about where to go or what you should do. It's really just like about how you do it. Is this, what is this? Is this? This is what the microphones were wrapped in. Oh, can I blow my nose with this, you think? Yeah, I think so. Okay. I mean, if I... If I had a terminal illness and I knew I was dying, like, very soon, what would I say? I think I would say something like, um, can you please um, check it on my kids? Make sure they're okay. And maybe I would say, check it on Kathy. And maybe I would say, don't let Mandy destroy <laughs> any footage. The last one seems like it'd be quite the burden to take on, but try and save your footage. The footage? Yeah, I'd have to, like, get into, like... I'd basically be taking over your legal battles. 
I tried to. I need to make a will. I tried to make one online, but I don't know how legit it is, and I think I got discouraged. And I kind of gave everything to Kathy <laughs> at the time, which I don't know if that was a good idea anymore. Um, Did you send it to your lawyer? I don't have a lawyer. Oh, okay. But, but Peter, I trust to like deal with it. I think I tried to make Peter and Kathy like my executors. Um, but yeah, I was just worried that Manny would come and take the hard drive. And if it wasn't done, like it would be like, that'd be the end of, you know, three years of work. But you left the hard drives to Kathy? I think I left. I think I did. <laughs> I feel like you should leave them to Peter. I should. I know. Peter's like very passionate about your work. He'll make sure. I know. I know. I know. At the time, it just, we were, we were very close at that time and it made sense. But it was, I think I agree. Um, <clears throat> I guess I should uh, see a, uh, someone and redo my will. I, ha I have a will, but everything, you know, goes to Mandy. So I need to fix that. I also just want to finish season three. It's kind of absurd that I haven't. Um, Partially my fault in that I haven't done the sound mix yet oh, yeah, for yeah. episode one. That's not really what we're waiting on, but that would be how that would help. Um, but I think if I finish season three... I think if I don't finish season three, I will die a sad person. <laughs> uh, and if I finish season three, I will die a little happier. And then I want to finish Ulysses, but that's going to take so many years that it feels like, um, I don't know, like a, I'm not sure I'll live that long. Um, but I'm going to try. Um, I'm assuming this despair is going to lift eventually and I'll get to a, a deeper better place but I don't know I mean the despair it depends how you want to approach it I mean for me this type of despair is only lifted when I meet someone else yeah um the week my ex-girlfriend and I broke up was the same week that David Berman released all My Happiness is Gone, which was the first single off the Purple Mountains album. Mm -hmm. And um, I thought it was like very uh, profound <laughs> uh, for where I was at that point. And then um, the next song he released, I think, was Darkness and Cold. Mm -hmm. And... Um, I remember tweeting, which I never tweet, but I remember tweeting, David Berman is trying to kill me because I was so depressed. And I can definitely relate to feeling the same way as that song, but I don't think it's to the extent that he was saying it. For you. For either of us, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I really think all of his happiness was actually gone. Yeah, yeah. I mean, since I was, since I've been young, I felt this kind of like, I don't know, despair, existential despair, like deep, deep unhappiness. And I've like tried all these things to sort of, you know, distract myself or run away from it or hide it or whatever, or avoid it, evade it. And 
I've always thought, well, I can't evade it forever. It's going to, like, the purpose of life is to not evade it, but to somehow transmute it into something, you know, something beautiful and, and good um, with maybe a tragic edge, but, you know, something that you can sustain yourself with and don't have to just run to some new romantic interest to fill the void of. And I'm definitely running fast right now trying to fill it, but I'm also thinking it's probably a good thing and I'm going to find a deeper peace or uh, a deeper acceptance of this feeling that I've, I've been avoiding it my whole life. And right now it's hard to avoid it. Having done what you just talked about, about transmuting it, and I mean, I think like a lot of your work has channeled some of your despair, maybe not recently, maybe it has even recently, um, maybe more directly, but when I even think of like a little stiff, which is like the story of unreciprocated love, mm -hmm. I'm sure that caused you some despair mm -hmm. and you were able to transmute it into something else. Yeah, but always with work, you know, always with uh, art. Hmm. I mean, if you're not transmuting it with work or with like productivity or with that, then do you, are you saying just within yourself? Yeah. You're trying to, hmm. I mean, like just like walking down the street, like right now, like it's, it'd be hard to like walk around the block, take a walk. Because I'd be like, why? Why would I? Why would I want to? Why would, why would I care? That's not going to help me feel better. But I think there is a, a, a space, a mental space, where it's wonderful to take a walk around the block. And, you know, it's sunny right now, and it's not that cold. And there's wind, and there's leaves everywhere, like colored leaves. Like, it could be like a wonderful walk. Like, a, you know, like if you're on drugs. But... I'm not accessing that. And the relief from the, whatever, the despair is only happening through the idea that I'm making some work that will somehow redeem this pain or whatever, suffering. But it's actually not the same as like just enjoying being alive without any need to make something or prove oneself in some way. Do you ever go on walks and just cry? <clears throat> Not really. Mm -hmm. It's something I do. Really? You walk and cry? Yeah, it's not like I even mean to, but when I'm like feeling maybe something close to the despair that you're describing, uh, yeah, I go on a walk and typically I'm listening to music huh. and then I start crying about something I didn't even know is upsetting me that much or something. And then normally I feel a lot better and yeah. the walk becomes nice. Yeah. And then, um, yeah. I mean, there's also something like strangely freeing about crying in public. Uh -huh. Um, true. especially because this is New York city and no one's going to stop to comfort you. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> this release where you kind of feel like you embrace being alone in a way. Uh -huh. 
I had this uh, experience the other night. The kids came over. And usually when the kids come over, I'm sort of like torn between wanting to be a good parent or whatever and feeling an obligation to my work to get, you know, work done. And so I usually like schedule some meetings while they're here and um, just try to do certain things to be productive because it makes me happy. And they're not always available anyway, but sometimes they are and I'm just like made plans and I'm busy. And I'm really trying to change that. But when they were here the other night, and this is like post-Kathy, I was just so happy, is maybe not the right word, but I was so I was so fulfilled by their presence. Like just it had nothing to do with any quality of exchange or anything or, or conversation. Just having them there, like in the room was making me so happy. Happy is overstating it because it wasn't like I was like in in bliss exactly. But like it had meaning. Like there was meaning in my life. Like my kids were giving me meaning in a way that I wasn't having any meaning with anything else. And I think I think people I think Kathy was right. Like people are the true source of meaning in our lives. And I think I've done a really bad job um, prioritizing that and sort of recognizing that. And I've I've prioritized like, you know, work and, I don't know, glory. Things that really don't do it. I mean, they do something. <laughs> you know, like they, they've, they've given me something that I felt I needed. But the thing that really, I think makes the difference is something I I just haven't exercised. Like those muscles are not strongly developed. I don't think they're as bad as you think they are. I mean, it's not like you're an accountant or you're, uh, I don't know, you work in an office and you just write emails all day or crunch no. numbers. It's like your work is about people and... I think you engage with people through your work. I mean, you have like a million meetings a day. Maybe you don't, I think you might be subtle about your engagement and maybe you're not as open as honestly, as you present yourself to be. But Mm -hmm. I think that you do prioritize people a little bit. Maybe you do it through your work. Maybe that is like, what you've used to like protect yourself into prioritizing people. Like uh, it might be like a self-confidence thing for you. Like you feel like no one would prioritize you if you didn't have something to work on. So I think you do use your work to engage with people and because you engage with more people than I do on a daily basis, because you have so many meetings uh, with just people who you're working with. Yeah. I mean, it's partly a protective thing. You're right. And an insecurity thing, maybe. You're right. But it's also like a... I don't prioritize people. Like, like I, I sort of look at it as like a waste of time or something to like hang out with people. Unless it's like a romantic thing. Then like I have no problem <laughs> making time for it. 
But if it's like just like a friendship thing, I just really don't make time for it. And I mean, even you, like, I, I don't know the last time we saw each other in person. It's like been a long time. And, and it has been a while. And <clears throat> I mean, it's it's hard to know how much of it is like, it's complicated. Like, I, I sort of use the work as a way to, like, engage with people. It's true. But I also use it as a way to keep people away and to keep them at arm's length. And to sort of like, like if people aren't working on stuff with me, then I have very little room for them, you know? It's kind of the price of admission or something. And I don't know that that's such a great way to live. I mean, I I don't think it is. Yeah, no, that probably isn't a great way to live. And I mean, I think you should learn to hang out with people. It's kind of late in the game, right? Yeah. Um, but like, I don't know. I like hanging out with people sometimes, but then there are other times when I'm just not in the mood to be around people. And it's kind of, it almost like takes practice. Like there will be like, normally when I'm coming off of a job, I'm really bad at hanging out with people. Hmm. It's like. Cause you need time alone. Well, it's, it's not even that. It's more like all of my hanging out with people has been at work. Mm-hmm. And without that, it's like, I feel like I find it difficult to connect to someone. And especially if I'm on a feature film where it's like, you know, 20 days, that's four weeks. My only friends are those people on set for those four weeks. Cause I barely have time to talk to anyone else. And then like, I'll be back and I'll make all these plans to go see people and then I'll see them and I just feel like there's like like a barrier, a void between us where mm. I can't connect with them. Mm. And I've made the plans and I whenever I make plans, I like feel obligated to right. go through with it. Right, so right, it's right, like, right, right. so then I'll meet them and that sort of gets me back in. Normally by like the fifth hangout with someone, I'm starting to feel normal again <laughs> and I can connect with them. But like with you, I, I mean, I could see you not wanting to hang out with people you're not like it's funny how much you talk like your work is really like camera addresses a lot of the time now and it's like you talk very little one-on-one or with like your i feel like you don't express that much Mm. justin came over last night to, to to edit ulysses and he's been going through a hard time. I, mean, I could tell he's going through a hard time. And usually I'm just like, are you okay? And it's usually just saying like, are you okay to get to work? <laughs> like, is it, it's is this getting in the way of the work? And last night, I kind of just was like, what's going on? And like, I just kind of had like a, a great opening for him. Like, just like, I'm really curious just to know like what's happening. And he started sort of like telling me about what was going on in a way that was like not, wasn't about work, you know, which is unusual for me. And it, it was nice because like he's going through a hard time and it was like nice to like understand it more deeply. And I, I kind of feel like he appreciated it too. So I felt like there was like a, a more humane thing going on and not just like a 
work thing. But yeah, I am protective and, I don't know, shy or distrustful, maybe. But I want to change that, and I want to change that before I die. You're sort of an anomaly in that if it's for, like, public output. Right. You'll lay it all out there. (laughs) You're, like, really vulnerable in your work. Right. But you can't be in person. I mean, you are now. But, like, yeah, I did notice that about you when we first met. But, like. Yeah. I'm very invulnerable in person, usually. Yeah. The, it's almost false advertising. Yeah. Your your camera addresses, like, present you as this person who I would expect you to be almost more like owner. Right. Than like you. Right. Like, I feel like your work presents you like owner a little bit. Like, mm-hmm. l- like a flood of thoughts in feelings right and i think most people are disappointed when they meet me because they're expecting or wanting a certain amount of i don't know connection or vulnerability or 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 just communion and i'm really not doing that at all i'm very um closed and um i'm I'm like polite but i'm you know cold or distant like I, yeah, I, I maintain distance. Yeah. There's a Wall Stevens line. He says, I wonder if I, if I lived a skeleton's life. And, you know, he wrote this when he was very old. But like just kind of looking back and like being like, God, did I kind of blow it? Did I kind of just really like take the wrong, take a wrong turn somewhere? And I guess no one blows anything, really. But there was a lot I could have let in that I didn't. And there's a lot of love I could have, like, showed or let in that I just didn't. And I just really channeled it very specifically in this one way that felt safe and maybe meaningful. But now, in the absence of Kathy and in this this phase, it just feels really... um, I mean, I would do it differently, I guess. If I could do it again. And it's a subtle difference. It's not like everything would be radically different. It's just like, just a little more openness. Just a little more letting in of other people and their energies or their pain. Like there's something just very protective. I think unnecessarily protective. That I've... It was just fear, I guess. I mean, luckily, you don't actually have to look back on your life right now. You're not dying. So, I mean, if those are your aspirations, I think you can just aspire to doing that going forward, being more open, letting people in a little bit more, maybe going out a little bit more to events where you can talk to people. I don't know what kind of events those are, but you don't drink, so not bars. Um Maybe you should like make a plan to go get dinner with someone once a week or. Yeah, that's a good idea. To like do something like that. Start slow until you start enjoying it. When I lived in San Francisco, I had this thing where I was going to invite someone over every day for lunch. And this was so fun. I really enjoyed this. Like I got to know all these people and like you have to eat lunch anyway. (laughs) And it's more fun to eat with people than eat alone. 
And Mandy started like not wanting to do it. And she was like, I don't know. I just want to like get work done or whatever. And she basically like put a kibosh on it and we stopped doing it. But like that was a really happy ritual for me. And I, I really tried to talk her out of canceling that, but I failed. But yeah, I, I can bring that back now that we're not together. It's a good idea. Yeah, don't record it or anything. Don't make it work. <laughs> like these conversations now. But it means taking time away from editing. So It's like an hour. Yeah, but it's an hour away from editing. I mean... I think if I finish season three, I, w- I think I'd relax a lot. Maybe. I think that's an excuse. I think you have to take an hour away from editing. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I'm not saying do it. I mean, you're talking about jumping into having lunch with someone every day. Uh-huh. I said make dinner plans once a week. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's an hour a week. Okay. To Let's start with that. And okay. then if you start wanting to do that, just let yourself do it. Like, if you want to have lunch with someone every day, have lunch with someone every day. I mean, I think you need a break from work at some point. Yeah, yeah. I think dinner. Dinner is when I get tired. Yeah. So maybe I'll do dinner once a week with somebody. And I'm single, so if anyone out there is interested, let me know before I die. (laughs) 